pray once again. Father, we need your grace now. Please send your enabling grace to help us worship you. This is worship. It's not just just the singing. Lord, may I worship you now as I preach from this wonderful text of Scripture. May it be according to your word and in your power and for your glory. May this body of believers listen to worship you with their ears and with their hearts. And may we all worship you and how we respond to what you say to us this morning through your word. Make us to believe these things. Help our unbelief. And may we act on faith, God. Changing and transforming our lives as a result of your wonderful, beautiful, real truth. Be with us now. Help us do what we cannot do on our own. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We all worry about something. All of us in this room. You may be the most laid-back person here. One of those people that if we just let you, you'd melt into the pew. That laid-back. You may be that guy. But you do worry about something. We are all warriors to one degree or another. For many Christians, when it comes to worry, however, there is an attitude of tolerance. When it comes to worrying, for a lot of Christians, there's an attitude of tolerance. A father agonizes constantly over how he's going to provide for his family. A mother can't think about anything else other than where her teenagers are when they haven't checked in. A student obsessively pours over all his notes to the neglect of other important things in life in order to pass his midterms. And these examples are seen often as just passionate or zealous concern for things that are good. They're seen as examples of passionate or, or zealous concern instead of worry. What, we say. That guy is just trying to be faithful to his family. Or that mom just loves her kids. That student is just a hard worker. Not worrying. But the reality is that all of these are examples of worry. And worry, though often tolerated in our own lives, in the lives of others is sin. Worry is sin. Yeah, sure, worry. When standing next to sexual immorality or or standing next to murder looks a lot better to us, right? Even sometimes when worry is standing next to um, anger or lying, worry looks better. But that's not the issue. That's not the question we should be asking. The question we should be asking is not not how we see worry, how we view worry, but how does God see worry? How does he view it? And the answer to that question will determine for us the true nature of worry. Because God, as creator and ruler, he rightly decides what is good and bad, 
rightly decides what is unjust and just and honorable and dishonorable. He makes that choice. He makes that determination because he is God and he is supreme. From our text this morning, we see that worry is sin to God because worry is doubting God. It doubts God because it disregards God's faithfulness to his children. Worry is failing to believe that God is who he says he is. And worry is failing to believe that God has done what he says he has done and is doing. Worry is a denial of the reality of God's character and his work. We must realize this. It's not just one of these sins to be tolerated, or as, as Jerry Bridges says, um, respected. He, has, he wrote this book called uh, Respectable Sins. It's not one of those things. It is a big deal because it is doubting God. It's unbelieving God, not believing him. So turn with me to this morning's text, which is Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Turn with me there. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And follow along with me as I read this text. This is where we're taking all of our points this morning. This is God's word. Let's listen to him speak. For this reason, I say to you, this is Jesus talking, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Last week in our trek through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, each time I get to preach, I'm, I'm taking the next section of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in our last text for chapter 6 of that sermon. Well, last week in our trek, Jesus gave us three principles to help us keep our eyes fixed on God's treasure. And the last principle found in verse 24 stated that we cannot serve God and wealth. We cannot serve them both in our hearts at the same time. It's got to be one or the other. In our first verse of this morning's text, verse 25, Jesus commands us saying this, do not be worried about your life. But he connects the two verses. He connects verse 24 and he connects verse 25 with therefore or for this reason. Therefore means because of this. 
So we know we've got to connect the two verses. We, gotta, we have to connect last week's sermon with this week's sermon. Do not be worried about your life. The reason why we are not to be worried about our lives, according to Jesus, is because we cannot serve God and money. If we're going to be faithful and loyal to our master God, then we must not worry. Now, here's the great thing about God. Not only does he give us the commandment, don't worry. He says, don't worry. He gives us a commandment. He tells us what to do in order to please him, or in this case, what not to do in order to please him, right? But God also, as our loving father, provides us with truths to believe so that we can obey that commandment. So he, he gives us the commandment, tells us what we need to do, but he doesn't leave us hanging saying, figure out how to do it on your own. You know, this just, I, I don't know how you're going to do it, but here's the commandment, just figure it out. No, he tells us what we need to believe so that we can obey that commandment to not worry. So we have five, five, what I call worry drowning truths to believe, okay? Five truths that we need to believe so we can drown our worry in the ocean of God's faithfulness. Worry is sin. It should be overcome. It should be drowned. And how we do that is by believing God. So we have five truths to believe in order to drown worry. I'll give them to you. Number one, life is more than the things we worry about. Life is more than the things we worry about. Number two, our heavenly father values us and cares for us. Number three, worry doesn't pay off. Number four, God will provide for those who seek him. And number five, tomorrow is in God's hands. Those five. That's where we're going this morning. So let's go to our first one. Jesus' rhetorical question at the end of verse 25 gives us our first worry-drowning truth to believe. He asks this question. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Life is more than the things we worry about. That's what he's saying. The nature of worry and anxiety is such that um, when we worry about something, that thing that we're worrying about dominates our lives. It takes something that's relatively small and makes it seem gigantic in our perception. It consumes our heart and mind. Worry gives you what I consider to be spiritual tunnel vision. Worry gives us spiritual tunnel vision. Whatever it is we're worrying about, the object of our worry is blown out of proportion, so much so that everything else in life is blocked out. Our mind and our heart is overcome. It's it's consumed with that object of worry. And so we have spiritual tunnel vision. We we, we see this happen in, uh, in movies a lot. If the director or the producer wants you to understand what the main character is going through, then all of a sudden you see, in terms of your perception of the movie, you see things through that character's eyes. And uh, if he wants, if the director wants you to concentrate on something that that person is going through, what will happen is the vision you're seeing, you're seeing things the way he's seeing things, and it zooms up on whatever image 
uh, or person or whatever it is that is consuming his attention, zooms up on it, blocks everything out around him. And so that all that is being seen is that object. And so you, you understand his focus is being dominated by that thing. And that's what happens with worry. Spiritual tunnel vision. There, there could be um, tons of responsibilities in your life. There could be a lot of people that demand your attention. But when we truly worry about something, when we're overcome with anxiety about it, then that's all we see. Those things, those responsibilities, those people are blocked out. Spiritual tunnel vision. It cuts out all peripheral vision. The things, the responsibilities, the other duties of life. This is what happens when we worry. We become obsessively fixated on that object of our worry until we can resolve it. In the midst of worry, the object of our worry must be resolved in our understanding or our thinking. We, we say to ourselves, I've got to resolve that issue. And that becomes uh, what we fixate on and obsess about. And then our happiness depends not on God. Our happiness and our, pe- our peace depends not on God, but on relieving ourselves of that object of worry. So that we're only happy or we think we'll only be happy if we remove that object of our anxiety. Doesn't this tie back to verse 24 perfectly? If you look back, because it says, you cannot serve God in wealth. Because when we worry, the things we are worrying about become our masters, don't they? In that sense, in the spiritual tunnel vision sense, they become our masters and we will serve them instead of God. And we will be loyal to them instead of God unless we put God back on the throne of our hearts. Do you see the danger that we're in? Do you see the danger and the sinfulness of worry a little better now? Worry keeps us from seeing God, and it keeps us from seeing other people. And therefore, consequently, it keeps us from serving God and serving other people. It dominates. Advertising helps to create this delusion, right, of uh, the things that we worry about uh, being fixated on in our hearts and minds. It helps create the delusion that things like food, drink, and clothing are of utmost importance, okay? It's, it's like um, an advertising agency that gets paid big bucks to create an extremely precise advertisement that whispers seductively in your ear, you need this. You need this. So advertising helps, uh, helps us worry, so to speak. Because we think that we need that thing, whatever it is. If we don't get that thing, then we worry that we're not getting that thing. And we anxiously toil and labor and work so we can get that thing because the advertising company has made us believe or tempted us to believe that thing is more important than it truly is. I, uh, this is a small example, but uh, I'll use it anyway. I saw this commercial this week on the internet, uh, Rubbermaid, the Rubbermaid commercial, Tupperware. Okay, Tupperware commercial. Uh, I, 
I don't use Tupperware a lot. My wife uses Tupperware a lot. Uh, but Tupperware is not like something that's a big issue in my life. But it is for you women, is it not? I mean, you use Tupperware. T- Tupperware is a, is a serious thing in your life. I mean, you're cooking, you're, you're saving leftovers, and you're giving food to other people that um, you know and love. So you need Tupperware. Tupperware is, is something you think about. It, and it's something that you use on a regular basis. It's not for me, but it is for you. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that's the reality. And so there's this Tupperware commercial. And um, this is an example of what advertising agents do. The woman's looking for her Tupperware in the kitchen. She, she can't find a lid that she needs for this certain base to a piece of Tupperware, right? She can't find the lid. And so she's looking all over the place and she, she turns to this cabinet that's like a, above her sink or something and she opens it and what happens? Tupperware, lids and bases come pouring out on top of her and buries her in a mountain of Tupperware. And so if, if you're a wife, if you're, if you're a housewife or a mother, you think, yes, that happens to me. I can empathize with that. They're meeting me where I am. And you think, I've, you know, it's a silly little thing, but they've got this product. And the lids actually snap on to the bottom of the base so you can keep the lids with the Tupperware, right? And you're tempted. I'm not, but you may be if you're a wife. You're tempted to think, Man, yes, I need that. I need that. They're communicating something to me. That happens. I can't ever find lids in my house. How much, how much better would life be if I could find my Tupperware lids? I've got to get that. Whatever that is, let's go get it. That's a trivial example, but they're, they're doing something, aren't they? Woman gets buried in Tupperware. It's communicating, this is a bigger, they're, they're, they're saying this is a big deal. It's not really that big a deal, but they're, they're communicating. It's a much bigger deal than you think. Look, 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 you need this, but it, it's, it's an illusion. You don't need Tupperware as much as the commercials thinking or making you think you do. But you know that's a trivial example, but there are other things. Advertising does that to us when it comes to things like you know, life insurance. You need this much life insurance. If you don't have this much life insurance, you better be worried. Get on board. Have this much. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with life insurance. I'm just saying advertising agencies are paid big bucks. They don't help us. They don't help us expand our vision beyond our spiritual tunnel vision. They help create that tunnel vision. Such is the way the world works, and which is all the more reason for us to take the antidote to spiritual tunnel vision. You've got to expand your vision. You've got to get beyond that thing. The antidote is that we need to remember that life is more than the things we worry about. We need to step back and get a view of the grand scope of life and the reason we're all here. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here for our little, you know, 24-hour period. There's something that happens in a 24-hour period that we fixate on and we worry about as if we're living for that day or that thing. Life is about God. 
we are made to reflect his glory. And all of history, all of history is moving toward that end of giving glory to the God who created us and who is sustaining all of life and all of the universe. That's what life is about. It's about his glory. And you know what? God is telling a story with history. You don't hear this in the media. You don't hear a news reporter saying, well, uh, another piece of news about God and what he's doing in the world today. No, you don't hear that. So we don't get that in the world. We, we don't get our vision expanded. We, we hear about the, the, uh, the trials, the hardships that are going on right now. And there's no hope that's given. God's not put into the equation. And so we've got to do that. We, 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 the media is not going to do that. Advertising is not going to do that. They're not going to help us expand our vision. We've got to do that. We've got to remember these things. God has made us his children. He's made us to reflect his glory. He has made us his ambassadors. He has called us to be a part of the story that he's telling in history. The story of his plan of redemption in Jesus Christ and how he's calling the people to himself that will give glory to him and call other people to him by repentance and faith. He invites us to be a part of that, to make disciples and to live for him in this world, worshiping him and following him daily. That's what life is about. But we make life about these little things that we worry about. Tunnel vision. We've got to expand our spiritual vision. Have you ever thought about the grace of God and giving us purpose? He gives us purpose, not just any purpose. He gives us the purpose of all of creation and all of history. His glory, reflecting his glory, living for him, our supreme king. He gives us purpose in that and he gives us ultimate purpose. He's invited us to be a part of this story. There's grace in that so that you know what? Your job isn't just about you and the people you work with. For you, it's about God's eternal glory. Your family is not just about you, and your spouse, your, and your kids. It's about God and his eternal glory. Your weekends are not just about the fun you can have, the rest you can get. They are about God's eternal glory. That's the perspective that's not a dream. That's not a fantasy. That is the perspective because God's perspective is the perspective. He's things, he sees things correctly because he designed everything. He's holding everything together. We need to have that vision. We need to see the things the way God sees things. And then the little things that we worry about, little things like you know, clothing, two cars that run, life insurance, a good GPA, those kinds of things, good health, they seem so small, and they seem insignificant. We see them in their proper perspective. We see them in proportion when we step back and see things the way God sees things. So the application here is we need to be in this book. If the media is not going to help us expand our spiritual vision, and if uh, advertising is not going to do it, well, God's going to do it. This is where we need to be in this book, seeing things the way God sees things. If you read this book, if you study this book, all of a sudden, life is not about that little thing anymore. It's about him. All of a sudden, all of the worry that you were giving, all the, the, the stress and the anxiety you were giving to that thing, whatever it was, it's 
sit back and he's, he's saying, what was I doing? Why, why was I making that such a big deal? So turn with me. I want to show you how the Bible does that. Turn with me to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. I'm going to read a few verses out of this chapter of Scripture because I want you to see things the way God sees things. So if there's anything that you're worrying about here this morning, hopefully you'll see it put in its right perspective. I hope you'll see it swallowed up in God's purpose. 43, Isaiah 43, verse 1. And now, thus says the Lord. I did that last time, didn't I? Hit my hand on the pulpit. <laughs> but now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Verse 5. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he, before me, there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Even from eternity, I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? That swallows up the little things. Believing that swallows up the worry. It drowns the worry. And that's what we're, we're seeking to do. Remembering that God has made life about him. He's made it more than just the clothes that you need and the food you eat. And the things you need to survive physically. So we've got to expand our vision. But we will not expand our vision if we don't Get inside this book and do it regularly. That's point one. Number two. Turn back with me to the text, Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Our next worry-drowning truth comes from verses 26 and 30. I'll read them briefly. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, he is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Our Heavenly Father values us. He cares for us. That's point number two. Worry drowning truth number two. Our Heavenly Father values us and cares for us. Jesus is here using birds and flowers to make an analogy that will help us understand that God loves us as a father. He loves us as a father. Jesus tells us first to take notice of the birds of the air. Now, although they do have to go out and find food, they don't worry about it. They do have to go search for food. It's true, but they don't worry about it. Birds don't stress themselves out trying to find food. And generally speaking, birds live their lives flying, 
sleeping, building nests, defacing our windshields. And when they're hungry, they go find food. When they're hungry, they'll go find their food. Birds don't agonize over where their next meal is going to come from or, or, where, or whether they're going to be able to feed their young. Birds don't have money market accounts. Birds don't have 401ks. Yet God provides for them. He provides for them. And you may think, those birds are foolish. What are you talking about? They don't have savings accounts? They need to start investing, collecting assets, and organizing their financial portfolio. Get with it, birds. It's not likely to happen, but God will provide for them anyway. Why? Because he is their creator. He is the creator, and he values them, and he cares for them. Birds. He cares for birds. He values birds. Now, listen, I don't think that Jesus is saying here that you shouldn't have savings accounts or that you shouldn't plan for the future. I don't think he's saying that. But what he is saying is there is no reason for us as Christians to anxiously work ourselves into exhaustion so you can stockpile your resources. If you trust your bank account, or if you trust your marketable skills, then you will be consumed by worry. Why? Because there's an end to the money in your bank account. And there is a limit to your marketable skills. But if you trust in God as your heavenly father, then you can rest in the reality that he cares for you and he values you more than the birds of the air who he provides for, by the way. He loves you and he cares for you and he values you more than birds and he provides for them. And he provides for them sufficiently. Therefore, we can expect that God will take better care of us because we are made in his image. We're made in his image and not only that, if you are in Christ, you are a child of God and God has made you part of his family. He's made you part of his family and he values you. So of course, he's going to provide for you more so than he would the birds. And unlike your skills and assets, God's provision never runs out. Same goes for the grass of the field that he refers to later in verse 30. God clothes the grass of the field beautifully with the lilies. Yet the lifespan of grass is next to nothing. Therefore, Jesus tells us not to worry because as his children, whom he's given eternal life to, God will clothe us with much more. We have an eternal soul and an eternal soul he's made to live forever with him as Christians. But this grass that in the blink of an eye uh, or th- this grass in, in light of eternity, that its lifespan is like the blink of an eye. He provides for it clothing, so to speak. Will he not provide for us clothing in a much greater way? Faith in God's faithfulness is how we drown our worry. Faith in God's faithfulness is how we drown our worry. Here's how we do it, church. Turn to 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter.
Here's what Peter writes. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You've heard that before, haven't you? Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. James Montgomery Boyce gives us some insight into the word cast and casting your anxiety. Uh, He tells us the word cast is not the normal word for throwing something. It's not just like you pitch something out the window. You know, it's, it's a word that signifies a definite act of the will by which we stop worrying about things and let God assume the responsibility for our welfare. It's decisive. We're saying... We're choosing not to worry. That's the put off part of it. Putting off worry, putting on trust in God. Putting on God, allowing God to take responsibility for your welfare. We see again, though, this this element of care in this text. Cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. That's the reason why you should do it. Remembering he cares That makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? I mean, if you had good parents when you were growing up, you went to them often as a a child for for, uh, them to answer your questions, for uh, for you to get what you needed from them. And you went to them because yet you knew that they did have the answers and you knew that they could probably get you what you needed. But what kept you coming back time and time again to ask? Knowing that they cared for you. That makes a huge difference. He cares, so come to him. He cares, so trust him. He cares, so cast your anxieties on him. The God of the universe, uh, Montgomery Boyce, he, he says this in his commentary. He says, the God of the universe thinks about you. Isn't that a radical statement? The God of the universe that created everything, that has everything in his hands, he thinks about you in particular, you. Not just you, the church you, but you individually. You are his child. He thinks about you, not only just thinks about you, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember him. But it's, I love him. I set my love upon him. I provide for him. I care for him. I'm thinking about him lovingly. I'm providing for him. So we should cast our anxiety upon him. God cares for you infinitely more than your parents. And if there's any doubt about that, just go to the cross right? If there's any doubt about that, just go to the cross. Look at Jesus. Look at what God did so that you would be freed, so that you would become a child, so that you would no longer be his enemy but his friend. Look what God did. He sent his only son to take the wrath, the anger from God that you deserved on himself. So that if you believe, you can be set free from sin, set free to be a loving member of his family. Remember this. When we go to the cross, we have to remember this. If there's any doubt that God uh, cares for us more than anybody else, let's go to the cross. He who did not spare his own son, right, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him, that's Jesus, freely give us all things? He's already done the hard part. He's already done the hard part. He doesn't care enough for you to give you what you need today. If he's given you salvation, forgiveness of sins, you're escaping sin and death. Satan has no eternal power over you. He's done all that for you. 
Will he not provide for you today what you need? Of course he will. Of course he cares. So application for this point. Again, we've got to have a panoramic view of thanks. Who provides? If God cares, he provides. If God cares, he provides for his children. So we've got to remember, we aren't the ones who provide for ourselves. Um, Jimmy Ghost is the guy who does our books here at church. Works in the office um, part-time. And on Thursday, he walked into my office and he put paycheck on my desk. And as he was walking away, I thought to myself, Jimmy doesn't provide for me. Jimmy doesn't provide. Who provides? Okay, well, take a step back, get a bigger vision here. Jimmy is just the guy who does the books. He makes out the paycheck. He does the direct deposit and all that stuff. He didn't provide for me. What about the elders? He's under the elders. So the elders provide for me? No, no, it wasn't the elders. So who, who, who gave the money to the church? You, well, you guys did. You gave the money to the church. So did you provide for me? Yes and no. Okay. But how did you get your money? It wasn't you. How did you get your money? God gave you a job, didn't he? How'd you get that job? Well, you had skill, right? <laughs> okay, uh, I'm going to hit the wall eventually, okay? But, um, and how did that company exist? Well, God, it's all God. Oh, it goes back to God. You've got to expand your vision. God cares. God's the one who provides. You don't provide for yourself. Other people don't provide for you ultimately, right? It's not your job. It's not the people who sign your paycheck. God does. If he cares, he provides. Remember that. Expand your vision. Trust his faithfulness. We drown our worry with faith in his faithfulness. Point number three. Our third worry-drowning truth that we must believe is in verse 27. Turn with me back to Matthew 6. Verse 27, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Good question, Jesus. Anyone in this room knows that worry is hard work. Worry is hard work. It exhausts your mind as you rack your brain trying to figure out what to do about the object of your worry. It, ru- it runs your heart ragged as you yearn for resolution. Worry causes your body to experience constant restlessness. Worry is hard work. And not only is it hard work, but I think we actually think that we're accomplishing something when we worry. I think we, we think we're doing something about the problem. We're making progress toward a solution if we worry. But Jesus is saying here, that kind of thinking, it's foolish, it's wrong. Worrying never got anyone anywhere. It feels like you do. It feels like you're getting somewhere by worrying about the situation. But not according to the way God sees things. And remember, the way God sees things is the way things should be seen. Worry will not extend your life, Jesus says. It's not going to extend your life. In fact, doctors say that anxiety and worry will kill you faster. But it's not going to extend your life because God has your days numbered. 
you are, uh, I forget who said it, right? But it, it's that person who said, you're immortal until God takes you home. Because he's got the exact number of seconds planned out for you. Your life is in God's hands. And worry is not going to change the fact that God has a specific plan for your life. And your days, your hours, your seconds, they're, they're set up precisely according to his will. And his will it takes place perfectly. David writes in Psalm 139, in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. He knows. He's planned it. He's set it within that plan. Every worrisome thought that we think is evidence that we are seeking to take our lives out of God's hands and put them into our hands. Our, God, our life is in his hands. But every time that we try, um, every time that we're worrying, we're showing ourselves to be people who are attempting to take our lives out of his hands and put it into ours. Worry comes from believing the lie that you can take care of yourself. Worry comes from believing the lie that you can take care of yourself instead of believing that God will take care of you as your father. We're like children. We're, we're like children who tell the, their parents, I don't need your help. I can do it by myself. Ever hear that, parents? I don't need your help. I can do it by myself. And when this happens in life, a parent gives temporary control over to a three-year-old who's trying to pour a glass of milk from a full-gallon jug to teach him a lesson. The child will struggle with that gallon of milk, struggle for a few moments, and will find that he can't lift that jug to pour it into the glass. He'll get frustrated, a little anxious, at the realization that he can't do what he thought he could do. And at this time, the child will do one of two things. He'll either keep trying to pour the milk out in anxious frustration and eventually make a huge mess that will produce further anxiety, by the way, or he will give control back to the parent who will take care of that child and pour the milk for him. Those are the two options we have. Those are the two options. We can try, operate under the illusion that we can actually have control and we can live that way which will produce anxiety and will make a big mess of things, which will produce more anxiety. Or we can let God have the reins. He has them anyway. All you were doing is grasping at them. You couldn't get them. You can't take control out of God's hands, but you're trying to when you're anxious about things and worrisome. Much like this child, we can't take care of ourselves. We think we can, but it's an illusion. The control belongs to God, and the sooner we can stop fighting that reality, the more content we will be. This kind of response that we're talking about today, this, this casting your cares upon God, this casting your anxieties upon God kind of response, that's not a normal reflex for us, is it, church? 
We have, we have normal reflexes that are embedded into our nature. Uh, when your hand is burned, you, you yank it back from the fire. It happens automatically. It's a reflex that is built into us. But there are other reflexes that we have to learn, aren't they? There are other reflexes we've got to learn, like uh, the reflex that comes from us saying, let's pray. What happens? Immediately you shut your eyes, right? It's kind of a learned, conditioned reflex. Someone says, let's pray, and you close your eyes. You've been conditioned. You had to learn that, okay? In the same way, a guy who doesn't know how to drive a stick shift, he has to learn how to drive a stick shift, but pretty much after three, three months, four months, he doesn't have to think about it anymore. He just gets in the car, and he drives. There are normal reflexes. There are conditioned or learned reflexes. This, this casting your anxieties upon God, that has to be something we learn. We have to learn that reflex. It doesn't come naturally to us. We have sinful hearts. We must learn to recognize when we are trying to do things on our own. Learn to recognize. Concentrate. Expand your, your spiritual vision. Open up your eyes. Look out for those times when you are trying to take control of your own life. And when that happens, remind yourself of God's care for you, his faithfulness, his fatherly love for you. You've got to catch yourself in the act. You've got to catch yourself in the act of trying to do things on your own or, or you've got to catch yourself as you're being tempted to do things on your own so that you can remind yourself of these truths, these truths that we're giving you today, five worry-drowning truths. We've got to learn how to make this a reflex. But that means we've got to pray, God, please help me recognize when I'm trying to take control so I can remind myself of your faithfulness and your love for me as my father. And then, when you begin to do this more and more, it'll become easier. It'll become easier for you. And you'll begin to cultivate this reflex, reflexive response to worry so that you're fighting it with God's truth. You're fighting it with God's faithfulness. Casting your anxiety on God will become almost automatic. We've got to cultivate this. It's not going to just happen. You can't just... Um, rattle off a verse. You know, we, we, we ask you to uh, meditate. Or, sorry, we ask you to memorize Scripture here at Calvary Bible Church. We keep people accountable for memorizing Scripture, but you can't hope that you, you just uh, recite a verse you've memorized to yourself and everything's a-okay. Right? Okay, as long as I say this to myself, the worry will go away. It doesn't happen that way. You've got to believe it. God, please help me to believe this. Remind yourself of it. And as you remind yourself of these truths, pleading with God to help you believe these truths, because God's got to be the one to create that belief in your heart, to make you believe, but you've got a part to play. You've got a part to play. You've got to take these truths, put them in your mind, make them ammunition for the Holy Spirit to use as the Holy Spirit comes and creates more faith for you to believe them. And when you believe them, you don't believe the lie that you can do things on your own. Instead, you believe the truth that God will take care of you. We've got to cultivate it, though. And that's how we do it. Drown, worry drowning truth number four. Worry drowning truth number four. At the end of verse 30, we see Jesus say, you of little faith. I think that is the statement that binds the whole text together. You of little faith. 
you are worrying, you are not believing God. And so he says in verse 31 through 33, do not worry then saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Our fourth worry-draining truth is God will provide for those who seek him. We see a positive command here for us to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness with the result being that God will provide what we need. God will provide for those who seek him first. Jesus says that the Gentiles or or unbelievers spend all of their energy and focus uh, and they become anxiously fixated on trying to secure for themselves the things that they need. Church, we're not unbelievers. We're called believers for a reason because we believe these truths we find in the scriptures. We should be set apart from the, the unbelievers in the way that they do things and the things that they think. It makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, it makes sense that unbelievers would be anxious according to their framework and how they see things, right? Because they do not have a, a loving father that has promised to provide for them that loves them. And so they've got to do it themselves according to their understanding of things. They've got to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. They've got to labor and toil. And if they can't do it, they're sunk. They're dependent on themselves. And when so, so something stands in front of them, they get, they get hurt. There's some kind of roadblock in, in providing for themselves. Yes, anxiety ensues because they have no hope beyond themselves. So it makes perfect sense for the world or for unbelievers to be anxious and worrisome, but it does not make sense in our framework and our belief system that is true because God is there. He is Father. He does care. He has provided. He has given Jesus. He promises all good things because he's given us Jesus. And so it's inconsistent with the very nature of what we believe, but it makes sense for them John Piper has said, no hope, no cope. No hope, no cope. From believers, they don't have God. Therefore, they don't have hope. And if they don't have hope, then they cannot cope with their anxious turmoil. But we can. Only by his grace. Does it make us better? It makes us, should make us more humble. Because it's all by his grace. We're not unbelievers, church. We need to stop acting like it. Jesus says, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. He knows. Later on in Matthew, in chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, um, Jesus says that God knows when every sparrow dies. Every sparrow. I don't know how many sparrows there are in the world, but he knows when they all die. And he knows all the hairs on our heads. If he knows this, then I think he knows what we need to survive in this world. Don't be like the unbelievers whose first priority extends no further than their own sinful appetites. Seek God. In particular, his kingdom and his righteousness. What does that mean? How do we seek? What does it mean to seek his kingdom and his righteousness? Well, we seek first his kingdom, as we discussed earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, um, by seeking his authority. His, his kingdom is his reign, his rule. So he rules in the hearts of his people. He rules in the hearts of his people here on earth. 
And so as we seek to submit to his authority, as we seek to um, tell others and uh, exhort others to submit to his authority, we are seeking his kingdom. We're seeking to obey him. What about his righteousness? What does it mean to seek his righteousness first? Well, seeking his righteousness first just means that we're to be holy as he is holy. As his children, we are to strive after having his righteous character formed in us. We're seeking to have his righteous character formed in us, becoming more like Jesus. Romans 8.29 tells us that we are uh, predestined to be conformed to the character of Jesus. Okay? The image or the character of Jesus. We must seek to become what God has purposed us to be, in other words. And those who seek his kingdom and his righteousness, it is those who show themselves to be children of God. They show themselves in doing that and seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first. They show themselves to be children of God. And if they're showing themselves to be children of God, God will give them what is needed in this life. God will give them what is needed in this life. Worry drowning truth number five. Our final one is found in verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow, tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Our final worry draining truth is the fact that tomorrow is in God's hands. See, if we, if we keep this verse in its context, in the context of what's already been said, we know that what Jesus is saying here when he says tomorrow will take care of itself is not a reference to some kind of ambiguous cosmic force out there that's going to make everything all right tomorrow. That's not what he's talking about. If we keep it in its context, what he's talking about here is that tomorrow is in God's hands. God is going to take care of tomorrow, just like he is taking care of today. Just like he's taking care of today. He's saying there is enough trouble today to give us opportunity to trust God without inviting tomorrow's trouble into our world now, in this day. Okay? There's plenty of opportunity here for us to trust the Lord and cast our anxieties upon him today. Why take the things that haven't even happened yet or things we're not even living out yet and put them in our trouble today? Here's what we've got to believe. God's in control today and he will be tomorrow. God cares for you today, and he will care for you tomorrow. God is providing for you today, and he will provide for you tomorrow what you need to live this life to please him. Do you trust him, church? Do you trust him? As I close, I just want us to think about something. Um, If you're a believer, if you've if you've repented, you've turned from your sin and you've thrown yourself on Jesus Christ to trust him for salvation so that you are now seen by God through Christ's righteousness so you're saved from your sin. If that's true of you, remember when you first believed. Remember your faith in believing. Even remember your faith as you continue to believe that truth now. I thank you we find it easier to trust him for eternal salvation than we do for everyday needs. 
the things that plague us in the practical, everyday kind of scenarios. I I think we find it easier to trust Him for eternal salvation than we do for these these little needs from from day to day. But that's that's kind of turned upside down, isn't it? We trust Him when He says, I have sent my only Son to live a life of perfection and walk to the cross to take your place, taking your punishment on himself, rising from the dead, so that if you believe, you can be saved. You can be free from sin, free from God's wrath. We believe that. Now, of course, it takes God creating faith in us to believe that. I understand that. But some, as Christians, even from day to day, we find it easier to believe that than we do that God is going to provide what we need to survive in this world when he's already done the hard part. And, and his love cannot be shown in a greater way than sending his innocent son to die in our place. If he did that, he will give us what we need. If he did that to show he cares for us, then the smaller things, the less significant things of the daily needs that we have, I'll do that too. Now, let us remember, as we talked about a few weeks ago, God defines what we need. We, sometimes we think that we know what we need, but God knows exactly what we need to live this life to please him. So you've got to remember that. But if he's going to give us salvation, and from day to day we, we continue to believe that, we should be able to believe that he's going to give us what we need. Believe him. He did the hard part already. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us have peace, God. Help us cast our anxieties on you. We can't do it, God. We can't do it alone. We need your grace. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your word. Help us to look beyond the things that dominate our hearts and minds and exhaust our hearts and minds with worry. Help us to look past those things to your reality, God, and your identity as our Father who has all resources and loves us beyond what we can imagine. If you gave Jesus, you will give all good things. Help our unbelief, God. We believe. Help our unbelief. We can't do it without you, God. We ask this all in the name of Jesus, our wonderful Savior.